Welcome back for episode five of the Florida Divorce and Family Law Questions podcast. Today, I'm going to be taking a few questions and answering them. Um, just want to remind everybody that this is not legal advice that I'm giving out here. Um, it's just I'm just trying to point people in the right direction. There's really no substitute for sitting down and telling your story to an experienced local family law attorney where they can ask you questions because inevitably um, you leave something out in these short questions that could be very pivotal. And we try to point that out in the, I, I try to point that out in these answers, but just to be clear, not legal advice, don't rely on everything you hear as how your case would be resolved. Um, it's important to know everything before you can really get a full legal opinion, but hopefully we're trying to point people in the right directions. Uh, if you have any questions, um, there's information in the show notes about how to get in touch with me. Okay, so let's get on with the first question. Our first question comes from Orlando, where a mother and wife is writing in and saying that she is going to be going through a divorce soon, and her and her husband are trying to work out all their issues uh, in advance, which is always a good idea if you can do it. Um, she states that she doesn't really have any concerns, that her husband um, is going to support um, their child. He, she says he's always done so, so she's confident that he'll do so in the future, that that's apparently not one of their problems. But she did want to know if she could you know, enable um, him to waive or pay zero child support. She says she's okay with that. I don't know why she would want to do that, but okay. Um, she just wants to know if she can do it. Um, the easy answer to that is no, you can't do that. Um, basically, the court treats um, child support um, as the right of the child, uh, it's essentially their money that is being used by a parent um, for the benefit of the child. There doesn't really ever have to be an accounting um, if somebody pays $500 a month in child support. In general, the court doesn't need to know how that specific $500 goes um, or how it's spent, if it's spent on clothes or food. I mean, it'd be too hard to do that um, because a lot of it would be spent on, you know, half a gallon of milk. I mean, how are you going to figure that out? How are you going to figure out um, the difference in the size of an apartment that might be needed or the different size of a house or the additional, maybe you need a slightly bigger car or um, extra gas. I mean, it'd be too hard to figure out. Um, so they generally, either way, they're not going to let you waive waive the child support. Like I said, it's the, it's the right of the child. You're free to make other um, you can waive other things. Um, the court, even if it was a horrible idea in general, um, they'll certainly let you waive alimony and take a, a pretty bad deal or a very bad deal as far as the division of assets and debts. Um, in, in that regard, um, generally the judges, you know, as long as you, there's no um, fraud or coercion or duress, as long as there's essentially no gun to your head, you're allowed to take a terrible deal um, with the property division part of your case and the alimony. Um, if you otherwise would get alimony, um, but they're not going to let you do something similar. Like I said, they're not going to let you do something similar for child support because there's guidelines. It's not that the judges, um, you know, want to mess up your agreement. They, they have a job to do. They are bound by the law to follow the law and the law requires that the guidelines be followed. So if the guidelines say there has to be four or $500 in child support or, you know, less or more, then that's what they have to do. Now, that doesn't mean that there always has to be child support. I know that kind of doesn't make sense, but let me explain that real quick. Um, like I said, the judges are bound to follow the guidelines. 
So if the guidelines say that there should be very little child support, um, and usually in my experience, very little means less than $50, um, then they're not going to really make the other person pay um, you know, $21 a month in child support. They're not going to make somebody write somebody else a check for something like that. Um, I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen where somebody, you know, absolutely wants the $21, but when both parties are saying, ah, you know, it's $21, it's $27, it's $35, we don't care, then they'll go along. They'll go along with that. Are they supposed to? I mean, are the judges supposed to let people waive like that? Um, those small amounts, probably not, but I think they figure that it's so negligible that, you know, in the grand scheme of earning a couple thousand dollars a month, you know, what's the big, you know, what's the difference with a few dollars there? It's not worth the hassle. And if the parties are, you know, in agreement with things, let them go ahead and do that. It, but the guidelines have to establish that. And that generally happens when the parties make about the same amount of money uh, and there's a 50-50 time sharing. Now, there could be one party making slightly more than the other party, and then the timesharing isn't quite 50-50 but skews one way or the other. That could get you a very low amount of child support. Um, but if there's a situation where, um, you know, stereotypically it's the father, if he has every other weekend, maybe even three days, um, every other week, something like that, half the summer, um, spring break, a good day, you know, good amount at Christmas where he's getting 90, 100, 150. 20 or so days, uh, or nights rather, with the child over the course of the 365 days in a year, um, there's very likely going to have to be, I mean, almost certainly going to have to be some amount of child support paid um, in, in that kind of situation. Next up, we have another question from Orlando. And in this question, we have a wife um, who wants to know if in Florida, even though it's a no-fall state, can a judge order you to go through marriage counseling? Um, and this is another another question with sort of a simple answer, and the simple answer here is yes. Um, that, But then the caveat is that it doesn't usually happen. So she should be maybe only slightly worried. Um, that, like I said, doesn't happen very often at all. It doesn't even happen very often that it gets requested. Um, I would say of the very, very few cases where marriage counseling is requested, probably a very, very, very small percentage of those cases is the judge going to order the counseling. Um, the way this comes up is that one of the things you, one of the requirements um, in order to get divorced in Florida, um, other, you know, that goes along with like the residency requirement, you have to actually be married in order to get a divorce or a dissolution of your marriage. You have to be a resident of Florida for more than the last six months before you file your petition. And you have to um, be able to prove that your marriage is irretrievably broken. And that simply means broken and can't be fixed. Most people's marriage probably over, over time gets broken and they fix it. Um, but the irretrievable means broken and can't be fixed. So it, 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 that's very commonly simply stated. That's usually the only thing that people can agree on in their dissolution case is that, yeah, sure, we want to get a divorce. But there are some situations where there um, people just um, aren't convinced that the other party really wants the divorce or for religious reasons, they want to make sure that every possible attempt has been made to save their marriage. They can, um, if, if the other side um, files for divorce and states the marriage is irretrievably broken, they can file a motion and request that the judge order marriage counseling. Um, like I said, not terribly successful. 
because all the um, non-requesting party, the party who doesn't want the marriage counseling, all they have to do um, is convince the judge that it wouldn't it wouldn't be of any benefit. They can say to the judge uh, simply that, hey, I understand that the other side the, um, feels that it might work. I understand that. It's just not going to work. And then the judge can consider uh, various other circumstances, the fact that they might already be living apart, may have been living apart for quite a while. Um, one of the parties is already in uh, another relationship or... Like I said, sometimes they're living apart in the same city. Sometimes they can be separated by by a great distance. Um, so even so, when the other party says that there's not much or there's no chance of it happening, um, in that situation, the judge really doesn't have much of a choice um, to order, except decline or deny the the motion for the marriage counseling. Um, another reason they might deny it is simply the parties don't have enough money. Um, to pay for the counseling, that can certainly factor into the judge's decision as well. Now, as far as, and the question she also raised the fact that I kind of seemed to think that, I kind of get the impression that she thought that there shouldn't be, uh, counseling shouldn't be available as a kind of a, as something that the judge could order, um, simply because Florida is a no-fault state. Um, Well, Florida is a no-fault state, but what that means is that you don't have to go to court and prove like you had to do 30 plus years ago, um, you had to prove a reason to get a divorce. Um, the state claimed an interest in keeping you married for whatever reason. Um, this all way predates the time that um, I was in law school or licensed to practice law in Florida. Um, you have to prove a ground. And the grounds, the available grounds back then, among them were things like adultery or abuse, alcoholism, um, you know, mental incapacity, Things like that, and and while those things may have been true in a specific relationship, um, very often proving adultery, you know, proving it to a judge, um, you know, could get kind of seedy and <laughs> could get kind of expensive and very difficult uh, on top of everything else. So when Florida, I think it was probably either in the um, late seventies, early eighties, went away from um, these having to prove grounds for divorce and went into the no fault situation. Um, it, it got a lot easier in that respect to get the divorce. You didn't have to specifically prove a reason. You just had to say that your marriage was irretrievably broken. And in fact, even in an uncontested divorce case where the parties agree on everything, they agree on the division of assets and debts and what's going to happen with their children if they have any and the child support and alimony, if any, they agree on all those things. Uh, when you go get one of these quickie hearings, um, you know the very few questions that get asked um, – five or six questions. One of them is, is your marriage irretrievably broken? We discuss that, these questions in advance with all our clients, because that's one of the questions. And the next question, they'll say yes. Um, The next question is, briefly tell the judge why you feel your marriage is broken and can't be fixed. And we don't want my, I mean, I don't want my clients to do this. That's why we prepare them in advance. But I've seen other people's clients just sit there and say, "Uh, I don't know, or Eh, you know, we fight. You know, that's not going to cut it. Like I've said other times in other subjects, even in this this episode, judges take their job seriously. It's their job. They have to have proof that your marriage is irretrievably broken. Now, there's nobody there to contradict you, so you can essentially say whatever you want, um, even if it's not true. You certainly shouldn't do that, but who's ever going to know? You can't just say, nah, we just don't get along. Plenty of people don't get along. That doesn't mean that you 
can't fix that situation. And sometimes judges will tell people, um, they'll just kick them out, say, you know, come back when you've got a better answer or go get some counseling or, you know, it, it can be very difficult and it's embarrassing for um, the clients and the lawyers and, you know, people who think they're going to get divorced on a specific day don't. So it's important, even if you're getting an uncontested divorce, and a lot most cases eventually get to the point where they are uncontested, even if you've been litigating your case for a year or two, um, eventually you'll settle it without the need of a trial. Um, if there's Even if there's a trial, you'll still have to discuss these issues. But even if you settle it and you go in for a quick five-minute hearing to get everything over with, the judge is still going to want you to explain to him or her why your marriage is irretrievably broken, um, what happened, what went wrong. They don't want a 20-minute answer of every little problem back and forth. They simply want to know, you know, we argue too much, it's better for our kids if we get divorced, or he met somebody else and he's already living with him or her. You know, that right there, those are two or three quick sentences and it only took 10 seconds. They don't, they don't want to hear the whole history. They just want something. Next up, we have a mother in Clearwater who says that she has a contempt of court hearing set, um, that she's filed a motion for contempt. The hearing is already set. And she says the father of her child is about $3,000 behind uh, in child support and is currently only paying small amounts each month, um, and he's claiming that he's not making much money. So she wants to know um, what's going to happen at the hearing and what she can do to win at the hearing. Um, this is kind of a difficult one to answer because we don't know all the facts, but in general, um, the father here would be in contempt of court um, if he has the ability to, to pay the child support and he's not paying it, okay? Um, so if the court made some kind of determination, I mean, well, let me get into a few scenarios. If he's he has a job and the court used that amount of money um, that he was making to calculate his child support and he's not paying that amount um, anymore, if, if he ever did, and he's still making that amount of money, then the court, by calculating his child support, has already made the decision that he has the ability to pay the amount of child support that went with the amount of income he was making. Um, his excuse can't be that, oh, you know, I've got to pay credit card bills and I've got to pay my rent and I've got to pay, you know, my car insurance and, you know, I've got to eat. None of those are valid expenses. I've seen judges say on multiple times, when you get paid, um, the government takes their cut through your income, you know, their income tax withholdings, and then you pay your child support. What's left is what you have to live on. And if they order an amount and you can't live on what's left, you know, they understand that, but they'll tell you then you've got to move to a, you know, move to a smaller house, move to an apartment, um, drive a smaller, older car, reduce your insurance deductibles, um, get a, on a different healthcare plan, um, get a different cell phone plan, turn off the internet, turn off the cable TV, all those things. Um, have to happen before they even, I mean, and I don't really think they care um, anyway that you can't afford it. Um, if you do all those things, you'll be able to afford the child support. Um, I'm not saying that anybody would be thrilled with doing those things, but yeah, that's the way it is. You're going to get held in contempt if the judge knows you're working, um, knows what you're making, and you're really not disputing that, orders a child support amount based on those numbers, and then you don't pay it. Um, so what might be the problem here for her is that he might not be making that amount of money anymore. 
okay? So if he was making whatever, let's just say $3,000 a month, and he was ordered to pay, we'll just make up a number, $500 in child support, but now say he's only paying $150 a month. Um, well, obviously she has a problem with that. That's gonna affect her ability to pay her bills and to feed uh, their child. I mean, there's really no doubt about that, but he's only in contempt if he's still making the $3,000 a month. If he lost his job for some reason, or he um, lost that job, but immediately found something else that was you know, much lower paying. Um, I mean, he's not gonna get a lot of sympathy from the court if he went from making $3,000 a month to $2,900 a month, and he chopped the child support down you know, by 60, 70%, okay? That's not gonna go over well. You're gonna be in contempt if you do something like that. But if he's unemployed and he's getting unemployment, um, that goes to his ability to pay. If he's not making any money, then sure, he doesn't have the ability to pay the money because he's not working. Um, and to the extent his not working is a valid reason, um, then the court's not gonna hold him in contempt and you're sort of wasting your time. Um, now, it, by the fact that, now, again, we don't know all the circumstances, I don't know what he's supposed to pay, he could have a great job, make a lot of money, and he's not paying, and you get to the $3,000 because he hasn't paid for a month and a half, okay, or two months, something like that. Um, but even if he lost a high-paying job, um, you're going to have, you know, the court will give you a little leeway. They don't expect you to be able to go out and find another job in a few days and have there be essentially no bumps in the road, okay? The other kind of problem that he might have is that if he has a substantial amount of savings, um, essentially what he's living on, okay, you're not going to base it just on his um, you know, unemployment or his severance. Certainly if you get severance, you're still getting paid, so you should still be paying the child support over the duration of the severance. We've seen that happen where somebody says, oh, I'm not working, I don't make any money, so I can't pay my child support until I get another job, but they're living off their $80,000, $90,000 severance package um, for that year when it, when they really essentially still have the money to pay, they have the ability to pay the child support, like we said, they have the ability to pay and they're choosing not to pay. That's what gets them in contempt. And for something like that, especially if there's a big pile of severance money in the bank, the judge is gonna order you probably in a situation like that um, to pay the $3,000 within a few days or go to jail. Um, in a case like this, you always have, or the person who is supposed to be paying the child support and is not paying, um, if you're held in contempt, you, what the judges say is you have the keys to the jail cell. They will give you, um, you know, it, maybe sometimes it's a few minutes to make a payment, but they typically give you a few days to come up with the money or go to jail. Um, and part of the amount they come up with is that they think you have the ability to pay that. And if you're in jail long enough, and this is where it gets kind of tricky and sad, um, they might come to a different conclusion. Like, oh, you know, he's been in jail for a week and he didn't pay. Hmm. Maybe he doesn't have the ability to pay. Um, and then they'll probably let you out. But in the meantime, even the small job you may have had, um, you've lost now because you've been in jail for a week. Um, so it gets it gets very complicated. But the, the takeaway from all this that she needs to realize is that she needs to be able to prove what he's making. Um, and he, she's allowed to ask him. Um, send a request for production of documents. There are forms on the internet for, for that at the... Uh, at the um, Supreme Court of Florida's website for the family law forms, uh, request that he provide you with bank records and income records, if, if, whether it's from his job to know why he got fired, that can make a difference too. If he was fired for insubordination or he was always late or he showed up drunk or failed a drug test, 
um, the court might very well find that he still has the ability to pay, even though there's no doubt he's not actually working. But if he just got downsized and is is a few months out of work while he's still looking, um, he's probably not going to be held in contempt. Although you know, individual judges are going to grant you varying amounts of time to make the you know to come up with the you know another job or some method of making some amount of money. And also the fact here, she did say that he was paying something, and something, um, even if you're ordered to pay a thousand dollars a month in child support. Paying $100, $200 a month is a whole lot better than paying zero, especially if you have a severance, um, especially if you're getting unemployment. Um, it, there's really no defense to paying zero um, when you're making um, something, when you still have a few dollars coming in or you have savings. Um, that really, you know, in a lot of family court situations, you're asking the judge to give you a break, to believe you, to do you a tiny favor at least for the short term. And if you go in there with a few dollars in the bank or a severance check or um, yeah, any one of the other scenarios we've discussed and you're not paying the uh, other parent anything at all, if you're just giving them zero, um, that really kind of puts the judge in a bind and doesn't really give them any, you know, you're not gonna be, they're not gonna do you a favor essentially. They're gonna end up holding you in contempt. Um, you're probably not gonna go to jail because you've got the money and you'll pay it to stay out of jail but you've, you've caused, you've wasted everybody's time. The other downside to being held in contempt, not in this case because she seems to be um, doing this herself, is that if the other side has a lawyer, you're very likely going to end up paying the uh, other side's attorney's fees, which, it, it is, which could cost, you know, in the neighborhood of another $1,000. A question from a former husband in plantation who wants to know if his ex-wife and he can enter into a contract or an agreement where he co-signs for a loan, a car loan for her, so she can get a new car. Um, and in exchange for that, he will pay for the car loan um, and reduce his child support by the amount of the car loan. So essentially, he's still paying out the same amount of money every month. It's just he's writing her a smaller check and the remainder that he would normally pay her, he is um, sending in on the car um, to, to the um, car loan company so that she can have a new car. So he wants to know if this is something that he can do. Um, so again, no easy answer to this one, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I really think that probably depends on the judge. I have seen um, a bunch of times where you can't, now a car is a different story probably, and it's a lot more money. I've seen guys in court, um, usually not clients of mine, because I know this isn't going to go over well. They'll say that, sure, you know, I, I didn't pay her any money, but I bought her a lot of food, you know, a formula. These are usually for babies. Or I bought some clothes or I bought some diapers or something like that. And people walk into court and want some kind of reduction in their arrearage um, when it's initially established. They'll say, well, judge, you know, here's my big bag of receipts where I you know, have been paying for diapers or not all of them, but, you know, maybe half of the diapers over the last year. And so you've got, you know, 200 Walmart receipts for formula and diapers for the last year. Um, that's not going to cut it. I, I don't think I've ever seen a judge think that was a good idea and take that. Um, they really have, in those cases, they tell the the um, the parent who's paying the child support, typically the, the father, um, that he's got to give her cash. And they, they don't mean like, you know, green cash money. They mean write her a check, um, set up some kind of direct deposit, something like that, pay it through the state of Florida, which is very common. 
um, to take these things out of the equation. Now, these are very often Department of Revenue kind of cases where they're taking people to court um, in that situation, not really a divorce case. In a divorce case, um, I think it's probably a little more common for there not to be an income deduction order where the parties directly exchange money. The stereotypical father is paying the money directly to the, the mother. Um, so can you, and it seems like they're already divorced and this is something they wanna set up after the divorce. I would say that the best course of action would be to propose that to the judge and see what the judge says. I think if you go in there and ask for prior approval and you both are on board with that idea, because she obviously has something to gain out of this, she apparently needs his credit to get the car, otherwise she probably, you know, otherwise it doesn't seem like she'd get it. Um, so she benefits by this, and he even in the question says that his, the benefit to him is that he knows his child is being driven around in a, you know, more comfortable, safer car, uh, more reliable, and that is obviously a benefit to him as well. Um, his child's happiness—that that's always a good thing. Um, so I would try to get, you know, file a joint motion asking the court to approve something like this get a hearing scheduled and go in and ask the judge to order something like this. That way, if something falls down, somebody so, somehow it falls apart, um, you're covered. Um, one other thing. Now, they're asking uh, to do this for child support. So the answer I've given, obviously, is kind of vague. I'm not really sure, but I think they should ask. Some, some, some judges will do it. Some probably won't. Um, the other thing about it, the other thing I think about in regard to this question is, what if they were doing this in the same vein, but it wasn't about child support, it was alimony. In that situation, he could do it. I don't think they would, I don't think in a situation like that, I don't think the judge probably would care. But one of the points, and certainly one of the things we discuss at mediations, is that paying alimony on a monthly recurring basis where you just write a check to the other side, or again, direct deposit it or whatever, um, if you do that, that means it's tax deductible to you and it's taxable taxable income to the person receiving it. But the IRS has stated, and there's some information about this on my website, if you want to search through the blog entries for alimony and tax deductibility, you can read the article I wrote about it. Um, but in that situation, the IRS has very clearly said that paying somebody else's debts, um, is a, that is not alimony essentially. You can call it whatever you want to call it in the state court. Um, so you can call it alimony. You can say in your order that the husband's going to pay alimony, and as alimony, he's going to pay five hundred dollars a month to you know so and so credit card company, or you know so and so car car company to pay for a car. That's all fine, and it'll you know so the judge will let you do that. That's not going to be a big deal. Um, but calling it alimony doesn't make it deductible alimony for IRS purposes. So. You should always check. We always want people to, I mean, that I think is kind of known. We always certainly want to encourage people if they have questions about the tax deductibility of alimony and setting up some kind of slightly oddball payment scenario that they don't, you know, certainly there can be unintended consequences. And if you're, it depends on how much money you make. If you're paying alimony, making a good deal of money and you lose the tax deductibility, you know, that's 25, 30 some percent of that money you would be getting back as a tax deduction and the other side would have to pay. That that certainly messes up people's agreements and what they expect um, these agreements to mean. That's all I have for this episode. My name is Jim Mullaney and I practice in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, you can submit questions here for the podcast uh, on the web or through my email address and directions for that are in the show notes.
my street address is 4741 Atlantic Boulevard, Suite A1, Jacksonville, Florida, 32207. My phone number is 904-858-4334. I can be reached via Twitter. You can submit your questions on Twitter as well. I'm at JaxDivorce, A-T-T-Y. Uh, that's all for this episode. We'll see you back in a few weeks.